Everybody, episode 13 of Video Vampires. This is Mickey. And Jessica. And Jess, uh, Beyond Fest just ended. Yeah, so I saw the last movie, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he also did The Lobster um, and some other movies, which I haven't seen yet. But uh, I wanted to touch it. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually really good. It was... Uh, I love the Egyptian, but I, you know, I think the whole time in the line is just, like, too much. I wish they, like, opened it up or spaced it out differently so where there wasn't, like, so much of a, a wait because people were waiting in there for hours. Yeah. Every every movie, yeah. uh, which is cool, but also that's why I, like, buy tickets, so I don't have to wait. Right. No, Beyond Fest was a little, like, um, crazily organized this year with the whole Fandango oh, thing. And then, so like, much. when we went to go see... Um, Oh, I can't. I don't. I, oh, one Suspiria? of the movies. I think it was Suspiria, but I, I actually think it was when I went to go see Hellraiser. The the event before that, like the, the, the movie before that, the Q and A ran too long. Yeah. And so you're saying, you know, it's just it's, so there it's was just extra time. It, I mean, I feel so, like such a baby being like, I hate wearing long. But like, hey man, maybe that could flow a little better. Yeah. I mean, we both worked in event management, I know, so I know. like, <laughs> we're snobby about it. We're like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. But it definitely it drove me nuts. Um, but but my, I did see this movie, and it. How was it? I loved it. Or I think I liked it better than the Lobster. It has this really dry, kind of dialogue that ends up being really funny, and it's also a, a dark movie. Mm. So you're laughing at these parts, but you also realize it's. It's very uh, creepy and, and yeah. dark, but I liked the whole... The entire cast was great. Um, I wish I remembered the name of the kid in it, but he hasn't really been in anything that I've really seen besides Dunkirk. He okay. was, he was like... Uh, if you haven't seen Dunkirk, I'm going to spoil it for you, so you might well... He plays the titular character Dunkirk in the movie Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he plays that kid on the boat. Oh, okay, there you go. Dies. I don't, oh. Okay. Um, but that's okay because he was super annoying in that movie anyway, so I'm glad he died. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, he was great in it. Um, Colin Farrell, I feel like, is so good at this type of like quick wit, um, one like liners that are very meant to be serious. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicole Kidman is great. She's been like killing it lately in everything that she's been in. Um, yeah, I really, I really liked it. The music, I have to look it up after, but mm-hmm. um, whoever the composer was and who was in track of the soundtrack uh, was great, too. It was very loud. Um, I liked it a lot. Cool. I'm trying to think of what else I saw. Well, we saw, you and I saw, with Heather, we saw Suspiria, the 4K restaurant. Yes, that was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, it was the best, best-looking version of that movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and the sound was amazing. Like, you could hear yeah. that anywhere. Like, it was just, like, the sound was fantastic. Um, I mean, I'm not going to get too much into the movie because I feel like most people have seen it. No, but it, yeah. it is it is a really awesome movie. No, um, I, was, I, was, I was surprised at how great it looked. Yeah. Like, it looked, oh, I don't want to use the word stunning, but it really was. It was. No, I mean, like, that's the thing, too, is that, like, and I feel, I feel like I've seen Suspiria so many times, but seeing it the way we saw it the other night, uh, I noticed things that I hadn't noticed before. And, mm-hmm. like, certain colors, that, you know, you don't notice, like, how... 
they uh, on this restoration they worked with the cinematographer of the movie, so like the, it's true to that to the cinematographer's vision of like what you know mm-hmm. every, all the work that he put into it. Uh, but yeah, the sound was insane. Um, I really wish all of Argento's movies got this type of like not maybe not all of them, but yeah. <laughs> but like a lot of them. You know, I would like to see Inferno, Phenomena, Tenebrae. I think Tenebrae did get one. Um, but you know. Uh, I missed opera. I didn't get to go to see opera. At the oh office. yeah, that that was playing too. I forgot. But it was cool. We got to see Dario Gento. Like you know, he was there. He was. That was great. It was like kind of adorable in a way where you're like, oh, he's just like this old Italian man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He's like, and he's like blowing kisses to the crowd. I think I might have mentioned that, but it was it, it, it was, was adorable. Great. He was just like, wow, my crowd. Everyone's like, ah, like. And he's wild. like so tired, and he's I like, know. yeah. Um, the other movie I saw, I saw another movie there. I went with uh, Steve last week. We saw a uh, sequence break. It was a free one of the free screenings. Oh, yeah. Um, and I wasn't... There's parts of it I liked. It, the premise was it's a, like this like nerdy like uh, guy or antisocial guy who restores arcade games for this like company. Um, mm-hmm. He comes across this arcade game that like... It's kind of like trying to take on that like uh, urban legend Polybius about like this like arcade game that like you know, causes all these weird seizures and seizures and hallucinations. But in this case, he, like, plays this video game, and it becomes, like, he be... It's, it kind of, like, turns into this, like... It was trying to be the video game version of Videodrome. Okay, But yeah. it didn't work for me, like... Because, like, I also, like... Um, it felt like a Cronenberg movie that, was, that had a happy ending, and I feel like those things oh, don't yeah. really work out because, I mean, like, that's part of the whole... Yeah, the despair. Yeah, and, and, and the horror of actually, like, something changing and you can't mm-hmm. control it. Um, so, I, you know, that was, you know, that was a, uh, it was, it, I like the effort. I like the fact that it was low budget. Um, you know, it has the same problems I have with, like, movies like that where it's, like, antisocial guy seems to attract, like, gorgeous girl who, like, you know, it's like, <laughs> come on, like, um, but you know, again, it was it was a, it was a free screening and it was cool. And I, I unfortunately couldn't stick around for the uh, Q and A. I did see something else at uh, Beyond Festival. We'll get into that in a second. Um, I saw um, Cult of Chucky. Oh yeah, okay. I kind of I wanted to watch it, but it's on Netflix. Um, it's really good. I would recommend watching. Curse of Chucky uh, before you watch this one because... I don't even remember what last... Ch- I think that last one I saw was Bride of Chucky. Oh, uh, well, if you've missed Seed of Chucky, that Seed of Chucky is fantastic. Is it, it really? It is, I, honestly, of the, <laughs> of the, the, the aughts decade, um, I think Seed of Chucky was actually one of the funniest movies. Really? It's really funny. Um, you know, it's really clever. It, it's like one of those... Look, a lot of people shit on it because um, I think because. some of the humor... I think some of the humor goes over... Some people's heads. I'm not. I'm not trying to sound pretentious or not, but a lot of it's like. Uh, Cedar Chucky really plays off of like film buffs. Yeah. You know, like really hardcore fin- uh, film fanatics. You know, like, and some of the references are obvious. You know, like uh, their weird child is named Glenn or Glenda because they can't tell what uh-huh. gender he is. You know, and there's there's a reference right there, but then like little like inside references to like you know showbiz, and then like you know Jennifer Tilly playing. Jennifer Tilly yeah. playing the doll. Um, <laughs> it, it, and then it's it's great, you know. So Cult of Chucky kind of like was a, uh, I want to say it was a reboot, but it's not. It's more of a continuation of the franchise. And, and one thing I like about the Child's Play franchise is aside from uh, the third one, which is like fucking god-awful, <laughs> um, all of them make an excuse to continue 
to the next, you know, it, 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 yeah. all, all the sequels give it, make an argument why there should be another one, you know, which I don't think a lot of horror movie franchises do. I think a lot of times they just kind of recycle the same stuff, whereas with the Child's Play franchise, I feel like they over, they're always adding something. Yeah. Like adding a new th- element, and they definitely do that in um, Curse of Chucky, and then in Cult of Chucky, um, they definitely do that, and it's, it's great. Um, I really liked it. Um, I geeked out a few times. There's a lot of great references. Um, the writer of the writer director of, of Cult of Chucky was also a writer on Hannibal. Oh yeah, so you some, were telling me. Yeah, so there's a few references to that which I really liked. Um, and then uh, yeah, I, I'm just my my biggest gripe about Cult of Chucky was that it did not get a theatrical release when like. I don't know how many paranormal activity movies have we had. I know, um, but or, they bring in money because people like to jump. Well, they're also yeah, they're also cheap, you know. Yeah, they're they cheap are. To make, but like, um, or you know, I mean, even like I, I can I know obviously know the answer to this, but it still breaks my heart that a movie like Alien Covenant, which was fucking terrible, <laughs> gets a theatrical release, but uh, a, a smaller uh, scale, you know, horror yeah. movie, you know, by Universal no less, um, gets dumped onto DVD and Netflix and like. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that movie should have gotten a theatrical release. It was really a lot of fun. And I think a crowd, like a big crowd like that would really get into it. Because it's, it's funny, but it's also got some good jump scares, you know? Yeah. And, um, so that was that. And then you and I both saw separately, but, um, and I've been waiting to talk about this, but yeah. uh, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. I saw it twice. Did you? Yeah, I went again. Good. Um, so here's the thing. I... I really liked it. Yeah. It's stunning. It is stunning, and I'm going to keep using that word because it is a beautiful film. I mean, there are some shots that, like, and I also, like, ate an edible the first time I went, and I was like, actually, both times. But, uh, the... (laughs) Nice. You know, some of these scenes were just, like, really breathtaking. I was like, ooh. And yeah. uh, the the sound the first time I it got n- made me nervous because I was like oh my god I'm not prepared to listen right. to sound being this loud it's like engulfing. Uh, I had gotten into an argument with a friend about well not really an argument I just let him and his girlfriend say whatever they wanted about the score but I love the score I think the score's great I think the score is perfect it's got this like more uh you know the the sound of the motorcycle it reminded me a little bit of like Akira, Akira you know like the vroom like yeah. obviously the neo Los Angeles that we're looking at but um it it was so loud and and I thought it was played perfectly and it made you like and it, it calls back enough to the original yeah. score you know like where yeah exactly and but the, I think their argument was like oh the original's better and it's like come on but the original is better but like yeah I mean and I thought that first too when I first saw it I was like man I really wish they'd used more of the original but I was like no I like the fact that this feels like a um a, not a progression but like a uh I guess yeah I guess a progression from the original you know yeah um so I like that they, they do callbacks to it, but they, do, that they yeah. don't rely completely on it and they make it its own thing, which I think is important, you know, I, with um, any sequel. I didn't hate Ryan Gosling in it. I, I actually thought he was he did well. <laughs> for, He's fantastic. For what he was given with. Uh, no, I, I think he was good in it. The, um, Harrison Ford, man. Okay, I love Harrison Ford, but he's only Harrison Ford now and everything I see him in. You know, it's funny you say that because, like, so I, you know, I saw it, um, and to kind of give you an idea of how much I really love, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was, I think, as as far as what I've seen in the theaters this year mm-hmm. that's new, it's my favorite thing. Um, I'm reserving, I'm not going to say it's the best movie I've seen this year just because I'm sure. There's going to be, there's yeah. There's going to be something, there's going to be other stuff that I would want to check out, but um, I went into this movie to 
trying to hate it because I saw the teaser, loved the teaser. Then I saw a trailer and I was like, "Fuck this movie!" Because it looked like an action movie. It looked like they like it looked like they were too afraid to kind of do what made the original work so well, which is telling mm-hmm. a really slow, controlled, you know, um, qu- not quiet, but like you know, uh, I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But uh, anyway, I saw the trailer. Did not care for it. Yeah, and I so, didn't either. And then so when I saw it in the theater, I we, we sat in the front row. At yeah, the Vista, like front row. Like, and, and it's not, like, it was not a theater that's good for, like, hey, no matter where you sit, it's going to be great. It's like, the front row is really bad. I was so <laughs> in love with the movie that I didn't care. Um, but I I really, I liked it. Um, I agree. Harrison Ford, when he came on, when he finally is in, in, like, is in the movie, I was like, it doesn't really feel like he's playing the character from Blade Runner. He's like, he's like, he's playing Harrison yeah. Ford. But and I'm not going to give anything away. But the there was then there became then there was certain moments like after you've introduced him with Ryan Gosling and the story moves forward. Then I started to feel like he was being more how I saw the character, how I closer yeah. to the character. You know, like there's a, an interaction between him and another character that I was like, mm, it still feels like get off my plane, Harrison Ford. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> it kind of works. And then the the um, his last shot of the movie. Uh-huh. Which I won't give anything away, but wait, but I, but I, but I really, I don't even care if that's just Harrison hair, hair Ford. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I really, I thought the sequel was kind of perfect. Like, I like it. I kind of like that it's a different story, but it still could work either or. Like, if it was a standalone film rather than uh, yeah. a sequel, and I, I did really like that, and um, <clears throat> I did. I have that thing, like, I felt a little bad, and, and I hate, like, I don't know if you guys knew me, I hate anything, like, Cyborg, or Replicant, or Cylon, it bothers me, okay, and this is how I'm pretty sure the world is gonna end, like, I just know, in my lifetime, I'll be old, but, like, we're gonna fuck up somewhere, and we're gonna make something that's smarter than us, and it's gonna destroy us, anyway. Right. Um, but I did feel a little bad at the end, even, like, I was just kind of like, Sure, oh, sure, man. and, but that's, you know, when, like... I, I can't say it. Yeah, don't but reveal. You know it what? It's, you it's, know the. You know what I'm. I know what you're talking about. But like the thing is, is that like what I like about Blade Runner 2049 is that, and it does the same thing as the original, which is it tells one person's story. Yeah. In a big world, you know, like so, like um, this story, it, it, you know, and this is one spoiler I'll give is that it's it's Ryan Gosling's story. Yeah. But he kind of weaves in and out of these much bigger, like another movie will will would. Like, not necessarily... And I'm not saying a Blade Runner 3, but I'm saying, like, there's, like, it's there's like fragments of, of bigger stories going on. That, yeah. You know, and he's just kind of, like... His story kind of takes him, kind of crosses through them, but they're never about those. It's always about his character. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like, I mean, there, there's, like, kind of, like, a weird, like, subplot of, like, there's kind of maybe, like, a replicant revolution going on. But guess what? We never care about that because it's yeah. always about Ryan Gosling's character, and I fucking love that. Like, um... And his self-awareness. His self-awareness and, like, whether or not he's human or whether or not... Mm-hmm. They kind of take that whole thing from, like, the first movie. Yeah. Like, what it means to be human or what, you know, how do you know? And um, it, and and kind of... They never answer the original one because, like, they never really kind of, like, explain, like, Harrison Ford could still be a replicant, you know? Yeah. And I like that they don't ever touch that. They just kind of, like, let it go mm-hmm. because that way you can have you, how you feel about the first one and let it be. Um... But they kind of make that Ryan Gosling story, and I really, I really loved that. I'm going to see it again, yeah. but I was like, 
I don't know. Just a big smile on my face. And I, I think that's part of the reason why that movie at Beyond Fest sequence break didn't grab me as much because I just saw Blade Runner right before that. And I was like, yeah. fuck it. Like, this, You're like, this is not and, as and, good and as and what it I looks, just And the thing, what I love about it too is that like, I was afraid that they were going to show like the world of Blade Runner was going to be like hundreds of years ahead of where it was. Like the way yeah. it looked. Like, you know, I mean, granted, when they made the first Blade Runner, it has a very, it has, it's like the future, at, you know, from a 1980s perspective, you know, but even yeah. still has like this kind of grimy, like their computers are like, you know, like that, yeah. that, 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 uh, I loved, um, the woman who played Wallace's, um, replicant. Yeah. I thought she, I thought she was great. The points of, um, her anger were like, yeah surprising but scary you know like I did I really liked her and I like yeah I liked her like every time like you know she does something she's the villain of the piece or one Mm -hmm. of you know but every time she does something particularly awful she ends up like tearing up or crying and I like that because it kind of called back to Rutger Hauer's character who's like you know um in one hand I think Rutger Hauer's character in, in the first movie as much as he's killing everybody he probably has the most appreciation for life because his is limited, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, there's that, you know, there's there's the weird ambiguity between him and his uh, and Terrell in the first movie where, like, right before he fucking squeezes his head. Like, yeah. Um, and then there's the moment where he saves Decker at the end where it's like, um, they really, I think they really play that really well and I think they kind of hint towards that with her character. Um, I loved everything about it. I really mm-hmm. did. Like, I tried, afterwards I was trying to think of things I didn't like and when I thought about it, I just liked it more. Um, I do like that, and I don't know why I liked it at first until I read an article. I was like, oh, yeah, that's why. Um, I like the fact that it didn't make a lot of money, which is going to sound weird, but um, I was like, why am I oh, so yeah. happy that this movie failed at the I heard, I, well, that's surprising to me, but I, it's, it's funny because I read this article that was like, are, are millennials, like, too spoiled to appreciate this movie. That's possible. Honestly. But, but what I like about it, what I like about the reason why I, like, I think I like that it failed, and I feel bad for everybody involved. I mean, it got good reviews critically, but it's 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 yeah. not, a, is that we're not going to see another one. Like, we took a chance here, and we made a sequel to a movie that probably didn't need a sequel, and you know what? The sequel was fucking great. Like, I'm really happy. But it's like, what else is out that would have, like... It... It is still... But bringing, it was forever ago, I feel like. That's over with. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, no. I mean, I think Blade Runner was the top of the box office. Oh, it I just, just don't didn't. think it didn't. It didn't reach its projections. Um, but they're not going to make. I don't think they're going to make a third one. So you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it was a risk with the second one. Not and, for another and it thirty paid years, off. right? And I won't be around. Hopefully, you know. Like, yeah. it paid off. It was great. Um, you know, Blade Runner two lived up to my, my, like, well, exceeded my expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, no, stop. Like, don't, yeah. don't push it. Don't, don't make, Let's not. I don't want to see, like, this become, like, Star Wars. I don't want to see this become, like, Marvel, you know, where it's, yeah. like, every other year we have a Blade Runner movie. It's like, great, we're done. Just metastasizes into this, like, poo pile. Exactly. <laughs> and so, fuck that. I'm glad that, um, I'm kind of, as sad as I am, I want, I mean, look, everybody in the, involved in that movie is going to be okay. You yeah. Know? Um, you got a few Academy not like award nominated direct. You have an Academy Award nominated director and then actors. I mean Harrison Ford. Did he not win anything for Arrival? I don't think so. Oh really? No, like because that was that that was last year, and I think yeah. what's his face from La La Land. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's everybody's right. gonna be fine. That the mo- even though the movie failed, and uh, the best thing is is that the people who were appreciate it appreciate it. You know. Yeah. Um, 
so I'm a big fan of Blade Runner. Because um, this is actually, and, and kind of going into the next... Oh, wait. Yeah, I want to say wait, one thing. Wait, 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 what did um, you see? So Mora from uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The Sanctuary, Sanctuary, she mentioned this to me. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of this, because we were talking shit about 120 hours, and it is. It's five days to conception, so all the... right. Entries have five days in order to make this, which makes sense, sure. obviously. So I wanted to clear that up. It's not just some bullshit. But wasn't his movie? What is his film? That's it was called 128. Wasn't that the name of his, his, his movie? 128 hours. Uh, is it 128 sure. or 120? I thought it was 128. I mean, um, hold on. We're gonna look it up. Yeah, look it up because I'm pretty sure. Because I was thinking that too after the episode. I was like, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure. He that dude was stuck under like with that rock. Oh, it's 127 hours. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So I gave I gave him an extra extra hour, but uh, um, yeah, I was like, he's so full of himself that he named this after. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> fuck James. Frank. Still, let us know about your. Uh, although I do want to see. Uh, I do want to see the disaster artist. I don't know. You gotta watch if that I trailer. Want to see it's great. The movie of a movie. That is already on its own. I know. I thought, I thought enough. the same thing, but the trail. I don't know. Anyway, check it out. Um, I, I think I'm gonna go check it out when it comes out. But uh, uh, you know, so one of the movies that I saw at Beyond Fest uh, was Hellraiser. Yes. And, um, I'm a big. I, it's funny because when I was growing up, when I was a kid, I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of burned through a lot of Stephen King stuff. I'm talking like at a young age. I was like, I burned through a lot of Stephen King stuff, and then just. I think a certain... It's funny, my, you know, Gerald's Game just came out. I think that was my... Did you watch it? No. I did. Uh, Kate did, and it was like... Uh, I heard it was really good. I liked it. Yeah, I saw... I caught the last ten minutes, and I was like... It's more disturbing than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where you're like, oh my god, this could happen. Yeah. This could happen to me! And then, like, I was... Uh, it's... It, de- it is... It also... Yeah. The degloving part was... The degloving is, is a bit, but also... It kind of shows how much horror we can take sure. into our own yeah. psyche, like, and then still live through it. But it's you funny, know, it's funny because I never really, um, and I think I mentioned this last time. I didn't. I tried reading that book, but I think I was too young to really appreciate the psychological, yeah, horror aspect of it. It was like, oh, it's a man and his, you know, man and woman, or a woman and a man, like in a in a house, in a in a room, and then I was like, yeah, it's eleven, but. One, too young. Yeah, that. way too young, yeah. <laughs> one, But one author that I really got into after Stephen King, and I felt like it was more like, I mean, it was weird. It's like Stephen King kind of like became like, this is, he's like classic rock. And then Clive Barker was like yeah. punk rock, you know, like. Uh, yeah. Um, And so, uh, and we're eventually going to talk about a movie that he wrote and directed. But um, to kind of give you a brief rundown, you know, uh, and this is a really just a, uh, a quick summary because he's had a pretty involved career. But uh he comes out. Uh, he, he, you know, he has a theater group called the uh, the Dog Company. That's important. And I'll, Clive Barker does. Yeah, he did. He did oh. in the seventies, and it's really important because I will and I'll explain how it all kind of ties together. But he has a, a theater company. Everybody's trying to get, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody kind of dissolves the company because at this point it's like, yeah, it's great that we're acting and putting on these plays, but we need to make money. Mm-hmm. Clive Barker turns to writing um, books. Comes out with Books of Blood. Um, I think there's six volumes of it. Um, and it becomes a huge success. Stephen yeah. King, uh, kind of in a very famous review, says, you know, I've seen the future of horror, and its name is Clive Barker, which is a riff off yeah. of the Springsteen review. Uh, he comes out with The Damnation Game, which is a great book. Comes out with a novella called The Hellbound Heart, which we'll get into in a second. He, mm-hmm. uh, he comes out with a book called The Thief of Always. Um, he comes out with 
a another novella called Cabal, which we'll yeah we're obviously going to get into, and then um, the Great and Secret Show in Aberville. So, um, literature aside, then he, I mean, there's like again, there's a lot more. I mean, uh, he, I think his last book was the Scarlet Gospels, which took the character that Scott Bakula played in Lord of Illusions oh, yes. and took um, Pinhead and, and kind of brought them together. Interesting. It wasn't as good as I. I mean, no? I think I think. My problem was that the that book had been announced for years, like it'd been like and it'd been talked about, and he just and when it finally came out, I felt like I was like, this is not, Under. this is somebody who likes Clive Barker, yeah, writing Clive Barker, not Clive Barker, you know, that's what it felt like. But film wise, um, again, this will be a brief uh, Clive Barker cinematic history. Um, he writes a screenplay called Transmutations, which mm-hmm. uh, gets made into a movie called Underworld. Um, it completely strays from what Clive Barker intended it to be. You know, yeah. it, 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 uh, it it's um, it, I don't know if it was supposed to be horror or whatnot, but it, it it's very different. Uh, it's very different than what they what they wanted, um, what he had written, and everything like that. And and there's gonna be a reoccurring theme when I go through this that like producers or studios or whomever want that Clive Barker feel, but, but they, they don't. But they don't. At the same time, they're very yeah. uncomfortable with it. Um, that being said, so after Underworld, uh, Transmutations, which gets turned into a movie called Underworld, it gets the uh, title change, same producer, same director, they're like, hey, Clive, we want to make an adaptation of your, uh, your short story from Books of Blood, uh, called Rawhead Rex. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't know, you guys kind of fucked up the last thing I did, but, they're like, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're not gonna stray away from the horror, we're gonna be like, um, we're gonna do it right, we're gonna keep you involved, they start making the movie, they kind of, so they start pushing him out. Yeah. Um, so he gets shut out. Uh, Rawhead the Rex, the movie is fun on its own way, but the short story is fantastic. Um, it's basically, the short story is a weird monster that look, basically is like a giant dick with teeth yeah. that's running around ter- like terrorizing the countryside, and there's this whole like um, weird sub, like weird kind of plot of like, you know, um, like Rawhead Rex is like, the, what, the only thing that can really kill him is like uh, a pregnant woman. Because mm-hmm. there's like a whole metaphor there. Yeah. Um, the movie kind of glosses over that. He looks like this weird, like, combination of like the Incredible Hulk and a punk rocker. Yeah. Um, it's not that great, but it's a lot of fun. It played it at Beyond Fest, which I did see. Yeah, it was a double ble- feature. Right? Yeah, I ended up leaving early because I had to. I, like, my phone was about to die, and I had to take a lift, and I was like, I'm, I, you know what? I own this movie on yeah. VHS. <laughs> and they're like, I don't no. Need to yeah, they're like, it's a 4K restoration. I'm like, ah, there's so many other movies on my list that would get restored before Rawhead Rex. Yeah. Um, but um, there's a great comic book adaptation of it. If you can dig it up, it's really awesome, um, and it really stays true to the story. And it kind of gives you an idea of like what it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, after Rawhead Rex and that disaster, he decides to write and direct one of his own things, and it, it's Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which low... Is, yeah. yeah. One and, of the best. Absolutely. Um, low budget, for given, you know, given the time period, and, uh, you know... Hugely successful. Mm-hmm. Um, that played at Beyond Fest, and still, it holds up. It's great, because, like, Clive Barker's best horror is that is not jump scares. It's the type that, like, you know, you leave a theater, you think about it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's really fucking scary. Um, it, it is... That movie is Clive Barker. Um, it's got that weird, like, obsession with, like, you know... Um, uh, Exploring the lines between like pain, pleasure, love, yeah. hate, eroticism, and horror, um, and you know like that weird like strange fetishism. Yeah, you know? like, I read this article that was like, either it said 
that it was going to be named this or it should have been named this and it was like the the modern housewife's quest for like a good fuck or something oh, like I that. Oh, I heard it was like the sadomasochist uh something sadomasochists from hell. But or something it, like that. Either yeah. one sounds really <laughs> yeah. like plausible. Uh, no, it does, and that's why I like it so much. Even still, I think it still um, holds its weight even now in 2017. I mean, um, it's funny because I posted a picture of her, but the wife in it, when she starts to like the killing that she, you know, yeah. that she's doing, Yeah, I mean, that's it's, a, the whole thing is about what we do uh, for what we want, you know, yeah. like how far are we willing to go. Um, Pinhead was never meant to be the Freddy Krueger of the Hellraiser franchise. It was actually supposed to be uh, the, the Julia character. Yeah. Um, and you can see that kind of when they start making Hellraiser 2, which Clive Barker doesn't um, direct, but he comes up with a story and he, he acts as a producer. Um, I love Hellraiser 2. I think it's fantastic. But you can, like, halfway through, they realize that Julia's not going to... The actress who plays Julia doesn't want to come back. Yeah. And because Pinhead was used so prominently in the... Um, in the ads for Hellraiser 1, he ends up becoming kind of like the face of the franchise. And the only reason why he's the face of the franchise, because the character in the novella is is uh, not as prominent, right? Yeah. But, like, because you got the Butterball. Um, yeah, that guy. The, yeah, the Butterball Cenobite um, couldn't speak, like, mm-hmm. in, with the makeup and everything like that. Um, then you have the Chatterer, who can't talk. <laughs> uh, and then you've got the, the female Cenobite with the weird thing. And, and yeah. she's, she gets, she definitely has some lines. But you got to give the bulk of the lines to somebody. And it ends up going it with Doug Bradley. That, yeah. And he ends up becoming, you know, the the, the figurehead. And, and that's great. And so we're going to skip, um, after Hellraiser, we're going to skip the other movie that Clive Barker does um, to kind of, kind of talk about. <gasps> he acts as a, Clive Barker ends up, acting as the executive producer on an adaptation of Candyman, uh, uh, an adaptation of his story, The Forbidden, which ends up becoming Candyman. Um, and this movie's, like, tremendously successful. Yeah, who did Candyman again? Bernard Rose. Okay. And uh, it's it's really... And Philip Glass, this is still my favorite thing, that Philip Glass, Glass did the... <laughs> it is, and, um, you know, it, aside from, like, the location change... And, you know, obviously taking a short story and making it a feature film. Yeah. Um, it stays pretty faithful to Clive Barker, and it has all those Clive Barker elements. It is the best Clive Barker film that not Clive Barker did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, after that, he does... Um, after that, the next thing in kind of Clive Barker's cinematic universe is Lord of Illusions. My favorite. Is it really? I love Lord of Illusions. I, I love Lord of... Okay, I saw it when I was younger, and this mm-hmm. is probably why I love The Magic Castle so much. But, because, uh, you know, there's some there's specific some scenes, there. scenes in Magic Castle. But also, I used to uh, watch Quantum Leap when I was younger, so I loved Scott Bakula. And um, the guy who played Nyx in it, yeah. like, still scares me yeah. to this day. All I can picture is them, like, taking off the metal piece of his, like, fucking gross, decaying, you know, buried body and having it, having that, like, mark. Oh, it just... Like well, that bone kind of, yeah, like, and yeah. It's like, and it's like, oh... Gooey well, and like, oh, it's I love it so much. That's you know it's weird. I, love I have a, I have a love. I, I love it sometimes, and sometimes I lo- I don't love it so much. I mean, I own it and I'll watch mm-hmm. it, and like one day I'll watch it and I'll be like, God, this movie is so fucking solid. And then I'll watch it and I'll be like, uh, I could do without this. I can honestly say the beginning and the end of that movie are perfect. Yeah, like the stuff in the desert, the weird cult stuff. Yeah, love that. It's really weird. I would you know, 
I, I want to like the supernatural private eye storyline that goes on, but uh-huh. sometimes it, sometimes it gets me, sometimes it doesn't. Um, either way, the studio who he was making it under, they forced him to do a lot of cuts. So oh, the theatrical man. cut was one way, and then yeah. the version that you know was on video and is on DVD is the director's Yeah, which cut. I, I have the DVD. <laughs> I, know, I do, I do. I, I Scream Factory put out a fantastic uh, DVD of it's that it's it's the original and it's mm-hmm. the theatrical and the director's oh, cool. cut. A pretty cool, like some cool special features. It's a really nice uh, little set. I think my problem with Lord of Illusions is that they there's a few moments where they rely on digital effects. Yeah, and it was that time. Now they're so bad. But even I still I feel like even then like it was it was at a time when digital effects, unless you like, were trying to be. Like, it was new. It was exciting, and um, they were trying to do things that they couldn't quite do yet. And unless yeah. you were T two, you weren't there yet. No. So I feel like there's like there's that whole thing with that weird like uh, I'm trying to remember I'm trying to describe it's like that weird like yeah, triangle yeah. thing that like ends up becoming un- uh, like a person and you know yes it's, oh my it's, god and it's 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 stupid but, but the practical effects I think are fantastic yeah. so um, you know that was uh, that that sort of illusions and you know again one of those scenarios where like the studio's like hey um, we're not sure how we feel about this. We're going to have you do these edits. Mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, obviously he gets to do a director's cut, which is cool. And I think he, in this case, he was he was under the impression when they were when they were asking these cuts, like, hey, you will be able to get to release a director's yeah. cut. So they were kind of like, but, you know. Uh, the movie a doesn't do consolation well. Consolation. Yeah, a, exactly. A movie do, the movie doesn't do well, though, and that kind of is, is the end of Clive Barker's cinematic yeah, career. Yeah, which is sad, because... Right, and we're going to go back... Before Lord of Illusions and before Candyman to Nightbreed, when this was yes. the movie we just watched. Nightbreed. I. It's funny because I haven't seen this in a while, and it, it's funny because we watched the director's cut, and there's a scene of um, his girlfriend singing in the nightclub, and it took. I was like, "Did I see this before?" No. Like, and you're like, "This was the scene that was added." I was like, "Oh God." Um, but she is a really ugly singer. Like, she is. she is so cute, but she just, like, her face looks like Hatchet Face when she's singing. Yeah, she does. Um, but, no, I, I really liked it. I, I forgot how much I enjoyed this mm-hmm. and how um, other directors pull from this movie still. Like, I kept thinking of uh, Del Toro yeah. um, in Pan's Labyrinth, you know, has yeah. this kind of, like, parallel universe that exists, you know. A even subterranean though it's more, world, yeah. Yeah, one is more fantasy and the other is, sure. you know. Um, but this, no, it is it is really enjoyable. I mean, I wouldn't say it's better than out of the, the three that I've seen that he's done. Lord of Illusions is still my favorite. Well, he's, but done, I, he's done Hellraiser, Nightbreed, and this. No, I feel like he didn't. He did something before that. Uh, some short films that like yeah. you know, back in the seventies, but okay, I never um, saw those. Um, but yeah, no, I I do really like this, and it's funny because when I was younger, when I first saw it, I always hated Boone because he was the bad guy in um, fuck, what's that? Some something, the drummer movie, you know, where the girl is the. The, she's a drummer and like she falls in love with her best friend. Uh, some kind of wonderful. Some kind of wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it took me forever to get that out, but he was the bad guy in it. Yeah. When I saw him in this, I'm like, fuck this guy. You know, like yeah. he's he's mean. But um, I'm kind of glad I watched it because I think the last time I watched it, it's like when I lived in Connecticut, and uh, it's fun and it's inventive and 
I always love when they introduce this world of characters that are like, so it's like that scene in Star Wars when they go into the bar and you're like, yes, there's like all these creatures exist and you're so excited to see all of them and what they do and like. It's funny you say that because uh, Clive Barker wanted, you know, the the end game of this movie was to be the Star Wars of monster movies. Uh-huh, so, which. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because like when I was a kid, the VHS cover, another one of those iconic ones, it's got, you know, it's Craig Sheffer with the like the. The leather jacket yeah. and all the the monsters beside him and everything. And I, I remember as a kid thinking that like it was like this weird, you know, uh, rebel without a cause slash juvenile delinquent movie mixed with a monster movie. And I, mm-hmm. I st- it's not, but I still think that's that movie should be made. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so this is this is a prime example of um, a studio wanting to work with Clive Barker and then not feeling comfortable with the Clive Barkerness of the piece. Yeah, and- which is so. Exactly, and they demand so many cuts, um, and it becomes this completely different movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is funny because Morgan Creek slash Fox um, did Nightbreed, or they they were the studio behind Nightbreed. They were also the studio behind Exorcist Three, which they did the exact same thing for, mm-hmm. where they were just like, uh, "We don't get this. We want you to make these changes to make it more commercial." Yeah. Um, they didn't know how to market the movie. They cut. They had a lot of stuff cut out, um, and. Uh, you know, so they don't know how to market. They market it as a slasher film. It's not a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I, aside from a few things, I wouldn't even say it's a horror film. Yeah. I'd say it's more of a fantasy, you know. Than act- anything, yeah. yeah. exactly. Um, so they make a lot of these cuts, and um, one of the prime reasons is because, uh, and this is like, I think this is a quote by a studio executive, they're like, wait a minute, the monsters are the good guys? It's like, yeah. uh-oh, you know. <laughs> So we fast forward 2009. Oh, this, by the way, this leaves Clive Barker pretty bitter about the whole Hollywood system. Yeah. And then after Lord which of Which I can understand, yeah. Right. Um, 2009, uh, the co-head of his company, uh, Seraphim Films, um, Mark, this guy Mark Miller, he, uh, you know, on Clive Barker's blessing, he searches for all this lost footage that nobody mm-hmm. knows where it is. It's been scattered all over the place. Some people don't even think it exists anymore. They find it. Um, a lot of it's a lot of it's work print footage, so it's like really grainy, really bad. They do a cut of it called the Cabal cut, which is they take the theatrical cut and they kind of splice in these certain scenes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they show it at this uh, convention called Mad Monster Party in 2012. People freak out. I mean, this is like and yeah. so it's like it goes from really good quality to really bad quality and back and forth. People still freak out though they they want this movie. There's a whole movement called Occupy Midian that starts. Oh um, man! Yeah, and um, and that's how we get, you know, two years later, Screen Factory does the director's cut on Nightbreed, which is great because they actually restored the footage. So we that's what we watched. And um, real quick synopsis, um, and then we'll kind of dive more into it. But um, uh, the movie's about this guy Boone who has these like uh, he dreams of this like weird city that uh, full of monsters mm-hmm. that he's told doesn't exist. Um, that he's convinced himself that doesn't exist. He ends up getting framed for all these this rash of killings by his... The real murderer is his psychiatrist who's played by David Cronenberg. We'll get into that in a second. Um, long story short, this guy, character Boone, he ends up going to the city where the monsters are and kind of becoming part of them yeah. while his girlfriend is searching for him and while his crazy psychiatrist is also <laughs> trying to find him as well to kind of, um, you know, wipe out all of... Uh, you know, the night breed, and then, um, you know, while Boone is in, in, in Midian, he discovers that he's got a much bigger role when the, you know, where they have to fight the real monsters, which is, like, the human beings that are, you know, want to wipe yeah. them out, you know? Um, 
a lot of stuff going on in that. You know, a lot to unpack there. A lot of, uh, <laughs> but um, they they edit the movie really badly. Um, Doug Brad. So here's what here's what's great about um, the movie, and I'll kind of tie into what was so bad about the theatrical cut. Mm-hmm. Um, Clive Barker goes to the well on this movie. So yeah. um, Lylesburg, like the the leader of the Nightbreed, that's Doug Bradley, that's Pinhead. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, Peliquin, the the weird the guy who bites Boone and he kind of turns him into him. Uh, the god is an astronaut. Mm-hmm. Oz over the ring. Yeah, that's Oliver Parker. He was the mo- one of the moving guys in Hellraiser. Okay, cool. Um, well, that's funny. Yeah, uh, Kinski, the the uh, the um, the nightbreed with the weird moon head. Yeah, Nicholas Vince. He was the Chatterer Cenobite. Okay. Uh, Simon Banford, who is uh, played Onaka. Onaka is the guy with the tattoos and the nipple ring. The guy, yeah. you know, like, with the dog. He was the Butterball Cenobite. He, oh, that's funny. Him and Doug Bradley were part of the dog company with the original theater uh-huh. troupe with Clive Barker back in the, uh, in the day. Um, maybe Oliver Parker was as well. I can't tell. Um, Catherine Chevalier, uh, the woman plays Rachel, she was Tiffany's mom in Hellraiser 2. Like, you only see her for like two, like a okay. flashback sequence, but it's he's definitely pulling from all these people he's worked with before. Yeah. Um, and so the funny thing is, I think, is the theatrical cut, they... They, they took out, they dubbed over Doug Bradley's voice. And it was this weird, <laughs> Why? Like, I don't know, but if you rewatch it, you're like, what the fuck? Because it's like, it's, not only do they dub over him with somebody, another actor, mm-hmm. but with a German accent. So he's just, <laughs> he, it's like this really ridiculous, uh, this, I don't know, this ridiculous thing. It was just funny because Catherine Chevalier plays Rachel. They dubbed over her too. Mm-hmm. She's got this European accent. The original actress is British and she's got a younger son. Like if you watch like the deleted scenes where they yeah. didn't, you know, dub over her, it's, her voice is just like, whoa, like... Wait a second. Yeah, yeah and, and, and maybe it, I'd feel differently if it was her voice from the get-go, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. So, um, also the other thing about uh, Anaka, the the guy with the nipple ring, all that, that was originally supposed to be Mark Almond from Soft Cell. Mm-hmm. The band Soft Cell, but then he got a new rec- uh, record contract and... He oh, got, he couldn't... He couldn't do it. Um, so, th- they make a lot of changes. Uh, they, uh, the changes that they make in... You know the theatrical cut. They change. Um, they they took out that music scene. Mm-hmm. They uh, and I'll tell you why. There's some funny stuff about that too. But they they kind of cha- they kind of beef up David Cronenberg's character because they were like, well, we need a villain. Yeah. So let's make let's make it focus on David Cronenberg's character. Um, they changed Doug Bradley's voice, which is preposterous. Um, one interesting thing is that Narcisse, the character that. Uh, he kind of becomes Boone's like friend, sidekick friend. Yeah. you know the guy with the little the yeah the, the razors on his yeah that he, uh, which we saw in this director's cut, gets killed. Mm-hmm. Well, test audience were like, "No, we like that guy." So like, you know what? We like this guy. Let's let's the studio was like, "We're gonna reshoot some scenes and, and have him be mm-hmm. survive," and he does. More importantly, they completely changed the ending that we watched. Yeah, um, they revive like the end of uh, the theatrical cut is um, the priest. Who's now been transformed? He's like kind of like worshiping at an altar of David Cronenberg's dead body with the, <laughs> the mask and everything, and uh, he basically revives David Cronenberg. And you're like, "Ooh, setting up for a sequel," mm-hmm. which is what they always intended with Nightbreed, but not that way. Yeah, Cronenberg's character wasn't even really just supposed to be a catalyst that like makes all this stuff happen, mm-hmm. but really, it's not about. Um, there's a bigger scope here. Yeah, there's, there's more of an epic feel to it where it's going to be like you know um 
you know, they, they kind of go into this whole thing about like, prophecy and, like, Boone is part of this whole, like, prophecy where he's going to destroy Midian, but he has to. Yeah. And then he's going to, like, he's going to relocate the Nightbreed somewhere else and all this stuff, which obviously never came to be technically in film. Yeah. Um, Nightbreed is based on the short story, or the novella mm-hmm. Cabal, and uh, the cut that we watch is a little bit more uh, closer to the, the short story. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Some let's see. So the the dance, the music sequence that you mentioned, where she's singing, she's, yeah, she and it is it's really bad because Aunt Bobby is really cute, yeah, really lovely. But when she sings, she's making the weirdest <laughs> fucking is. faces. And the worst thing, the song she's, she's singing, it's gonna singer. be stuck in my head for like no, like another day or two. Yeah, you know? but not in an enjoyable way. Exactly. Um, but in that scene, um, and we didn't know you know you have to pause and you have to look and everything. Uh, some of the extras are uh, Peter Atkins, who wrote Hellraiser 2 and mm-hmm. Hellraiser 3, um, and uh, Neil Gaiman. Really? He's friends with Clive Barker. He's in that scene. Is he really? Yeah, he is. I didn't notice, but mm. that's funny that he's in there. Those aren't the I mean, and he wasn't even Neil Gaiman yet. I mean, he was Neil Gaiman, yeah, but he wasn't Yeah, but he like, wasn't like, exactly. people didn't know who he was. Right. Um... Now, uh, Skip and Spectre, who were uh, writers in the uh, splatterpunk movement in the 80s, they wrote Light, the End, uh, which supposedly... It's a, it's a great vampire book. It supposedly inspired the Spike character in Buffy. Um, oh, yeah. Um, they have cameos as dead bodies. Um, awesome. Tony Gardner, who was a special effects artist who worked on um, a bunch of... Uh, he worked on the Child's Play stuff. He yeah. worked on a lot. He, um, he is a severed head. In the motel. I'm be a severed head in a movie. Um, I'm trying to think of other cameos. Uh, not quite a cameo, but kind of uh, is. Um, so the movie is scored, and, and this kind of lends itself oh, to the, yeah, the epic Danny. Danny Elfman. Before, I think Danny, the, all Danny Elfman had done, but at this point was um, the Tim Burton like Pee Wee, Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Batman. Uh, Batman Returns hadn't come out yet. Uh, I think he did the Simpsons theme. But he's still, like, not Danny Elfman, where not every as, fucking movie yeah. is Danny Elfman scored. Um, and uh, in the movie, there is an Oingo Boingo song that got country... Uh, there's, like, a, a weird country music vibe in this movie, because I guess in Calgary, Alberta, they listen, which is where the movie takes place. Uh-huh. There's a lot of country Western fans, which <laughs> I heard is true. So it's not, that, <laughs> it's not like Clive Barker's, like... Not that I imagine he's a country fan, but, like, he's not... It's not his a weird, you know... Yeah. Uh, and they do... There's a country version of an Oingo Boingo song. Not sung by Danny Elfman, but they they, they specifically created <laughs> this cover. So that's kind of a weird cameo. That is weird. Um, the casting in this movie is amazing. Because, first off, your villain is David Cronenberg. Yeah. Yeah, which I forgot. I think I just was young enough not to recognize him, you know? Like... Um, and he's so soft-spoken, and that's what makes it so much creepier. He's the only director whose commentary tracks I've ever listened to, just because, like, I can, I can be lulled to, like, calmness yeah, but by it's his so, voice. It's so creepy. And it's his like, speech pattern. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, and when he's talking about his movies, he's talking about these, like, mm-hmm. weird fucking things that are happening. You know? Yeah. And then you've got, like, you know, if you ever listen to commentary for Naked Lunch uh-huh. or Videodrome, you know, it's like he's talking about these really fucked up things, but he's doing it in that David Cronenberg voice. Yeah, which is... Which is what makes him perfect for a crazy psychiatrist serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Craig Sheffer, who, like, I know, like you were saying, he's some kind of wonderful... Mm-hmm. I like him a lot. I mean, he's just, like, he's one of those people that I feel like you don't want to like because he's he's that generic good-looking. Yeah. But he ends up... Be, he You end up really, you know, 
digging him as a uh, as as the main character. Um, and Bobby, who I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else. I don't no. think she does anything else. She now rescues animals, which Aww. thumbs up in my book. I like her a lot for mm-hmm. that. Um, I just I'm sorry I can't stomach her singing. I know. It's um, such a weird face. Yeah, weird, weird, weird facial expressions. But whatever. Nobody's perfect. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know. So then, and then you've got you know like I, all the actors I mentioned before who worked with Clive Barker or in Clive Barker related things in some capacity. Um, what I love about this movie is that they. Everybody in this movie, for good or for bad, goes 100% into it. Yeah. And you, and I feel like for a movie like this, you kind of need to go all in. There's yeah. nobody half-assing There's it. no, yeah. Nobody's playing it like, nobody is thinking they're better than the material. And then when you watch some of the documentary stuff, like a lot of these actors, they were like, this is one of the best scripts I had originally, you know, I read. Yeah. They were like so in love with it, you know, and, and um, that you can feel that when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. These, these are people who were excited about the movie that they're to working on. To do this, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a weird, like, so kind of like towards the third act, they introduce this, uh, sheriff who's like, uh, kind of like the evil Rambo. Yeah. And he leads this like militia, uh, what are they called? I wrote it down because I was like, oh yeah, the sons of the free. And it's like these like weird, like second amendment fetishists, you know, who are like, you know, they're, they're getting off on just like guns and blowing shit up and they go after the night breed and uh Mm -hmm. there's a weird alcoholic priest who i you know the idea was that he gets turned into a a monster and then the idea was that he was going to be the one searching for them yeah you know his he's so they introduce his character with the idea of making it a bigger character later on which they never got a chance to do because the movie flops because of fox markets the movie as a slasher film which yeah which it's not it's a fantasy uh I don't know, epic adventure. What? Uh, not much of a horror movie. Uh, it has all the it has a lot of horror elements into it, but I think yeah. the more important thing is that once you get past the fact that the monsters, all these characters that we'd normally be scared of in movies, are actually like you know they're you know they really they drive in a point to make it like uh, these are families. They mm-hmm. have kids, you yeah. know, like um, you know the aside from David Cronenberg, you don't really have a horror movie. You have like I said, like an action a fantasy, film. A fantasy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, the movie bombs, but the story lives on. They, uh, Epic Comics, which was an imprint of Marvel, they did uh, a series of Nightbreed mm-hmm. in the, right after the movie came out. And eventually, that series, they mer- they had like a crossover between the Nightbreed and the Cenobites from Hellraiser, which is really cool. And then, um, you know, fast forward to just a few years ago, uh, Boom Comics did have their own Nightbreed series, and all I, from what I know, oh, cool. these comic series all have either his blessing or his involvement. But Clive mm-hmm. Barker is, is somehow involved in them, so um, that's really cool. That you is know? really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I think like I said I, I really like, I, I love Nightbreed. Sometimes it's a little, you know what? No, I was gonna say sometimes it gets a little like cheesy, but I, I kind of yeah. like it. Everything I like, I like everything about it. Um, you know, it's a little long, especially the director's cut that we watched. Yeah, it's a bit longer. Which, you know, Screen Factory released. I think you can still get the... The, the version that I got was that box set that had, like, the director's cut, the theatrical cut. Um, it was a limited release. You might still be able to get it. It's definitely worth getting. Um, otherwise, it's on Netflix. It's on, and, and Yeah, the it's been cut. on Netflix. I think I, it's been in my queue for forever, and I was like, I'm going to rewatch it. And now I did, but... It's fantastic. I, I really, I do it. Love is, it is. It is enjoyable. It's like, 
fun. It's it's not something you watch Saturday night. It's something yeah. you watch Saturday afternoon. Like yeah, it's, exactly. it's a good like matinee. Like you know, it's a good fun. Like yeah, you, you know, have some you know have some friends over before you're gonna go out. You watch Nightbreed. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. there's something about it that just feels like as a kid, this is what you would watch in the daytime. Yeah. You know, uh, on a weekend, as opposed to like other movies, which I feel like you can only watch when the lights are like, when the sun's down. Yeah. And, and, and everything, the lights are all turned off and everything. It's not. It's not quite a horror film, but um, yeah, it's it's just a shame because Clive. There's when you when you think of what that movie had that movie been could've. more successful, it could have like really opened the doors for a lot of other really strange, you know, yeah. stories that not just necessarily from Clive Barker, but there would have been like, hey, studios have been like, hey, there's an audience for this type of storytelling. Um, unfortunately, you know, we don't yeah. get that, but. Uh, you know, I'm glad that they finally, after all this time, were able to to come as close as they could to Clive Barker's vi- uh, vision. They eventually did release. We watched the director's cut. They did eventually release the Cabal cut just like a month ago. Oh, really? Yeah, but it was like two hundred dollars, and they were only oh, printing like sure. x amount of copies. Yeah, I love this movie. I do not, not. There's very few movies, if any, that I would spend two hundred dollars for. Yeah. Um, I'm, sh- I'm if you're a if a Clive Barker enthusiast or if you're a Nightbreed fanatic, this is the box set. To, this is the set to get if it's still available. Yeah, but it's like the Cabal cut, all this other shit. I don't even mind even get into it because I don't even know what it is. I was like, once I saw the price tag, I was like, I am checking uh, out. Never mind. Yeah. I'm not gonna look at what it what it's got because I don't want to feel like I'm missing out. Yeah. Um, Waxworks Records did a uh, release of the soundtrack, which is great. That is cool. Um, and that's still available. It has that Oingo Boingo country yeah, cover that I was like... talking about. Uh, yeah. Um. They made video games, too, of Nightbreed and when it first came out. Did they really? Yeah, they did. For the computer. They weren't for, like, Nintendo. Oh, I was going to say. Yeah. Um, like, one of them had, like, Cronenberg on the cover. That's like, kind of awesome. Not in the Cronenberg mask, but, yeah. like, Cronenberg, like, in the suit with the, you know, like, with his glass and everything. <laughs> and it's like, wow. David, Still very creepy. David Cronenberg, the game. Um, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm, again, like, a uh, big fan of Clive Barker. And Hellraiser, to me, is still... The best, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Lord of Illusions. I know. It I, depends. I just, it depends. I love it. I, I, I love it. Scott Bakula. And yeah. I love the actor who plays Nyx. And I love the guy who plays Swan. I love, I love a lot yeah. of the, the people in there. I just, sometimes it's those effects that I'm just like. I know. They're so bad. And, but I, and I think well, the reason, well, the times that I do watch it and I like the movie is when I get up to use the bathroom right when they happen. I come back and I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, I perfect. missed that part. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, the beginning and the end, I want to yeah. see more of that movie. Yeah. The beginning and the end. Uh, Nightbreed, again, a uh, fantastic movie. Um, just glad that uh, it finally got close to Clive Barker's vil- uh, vision. And from what I heard, when he finally saw the director's cut and he saw it restored and it looks beautiful, yeah. the restored cut and everything, he um, was moved to tears. And that's Aww. a really great story because, you know, this is, imagine having this, like, thing hanging over you for, like, 20-some-odd years and love just, like, you know, a, a regret. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so it really, and a lot of it came from fans who, who kind of pushed to, to make this happen. So yeah. it does work, you know, and it's nice and it made, you know, it fulfilled his life, you know, and validated him. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I think that's, that's a, it's a great moral or great story, you know, that like yeah. sometimes it actually does work out. It only you know? takes 20 years. It only though. takes some time, but yeah, it, it does work out. So, um, give any shout outs. Oh, uh, Death Waltz Records yeah. for, uh, so Beyond Fest, we talked a, li- a bit about this, but they did records for Suspiria and 
Hellraiser. Yeah. And they are beautiful. I mean, everything about them is great. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I haven't opened my Hellraiser one yet, but this is great one. I think we were all opening in the car. We're like, ooh, yeah, look was... at it. Um, yeah, those are great. And I can't wait to open this, too. So shout out to them. Yeah, no, I mean, they, uh, Death Waltz, um, they, you know, I have a lot of their stuff back before they merged with uh, Mondo. Um, they did the Halloween. They did oh, yeah, yeah, Halloween yeah. Halloween 2, 3. Um, all those. Yeah, uh, Slumber Party Massacre, which I got not too long ago. Not Sleepaway Camp. Not Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> um, okay, but they did do a single from Sleepaway Camp, which so? I, actually, I also have, yeah. That's funny. Um, I want to, um, and then they merged with Mondo, and it's like they're still putting out some quality oh, yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, Suspiria soundtrack, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you saw my Facebook post, but I was blasting it. From my stereo, and I was yelling at my cats, and I was like, "Come to me, my children!" <laughs> and then I realized that my neighborhoods probably like think that I'm like the weirdest shits going they on. They can in my hear apartment. you, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I want to shout out to Studio House Designs, which are on they're on uh, Instagram. They're you know uh, the shirt that I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Actually. Oh, cool. I was looking at that. Yeah. Um, they're a company out of Philadelphia. I think Eric from Messinget knows them. Probably. He knows um, everybody. But yeah, they're fantastic, and they had this. Uh, monthly box set that they started called oh, uh, the horror awesome. Pulse. it is like and that's box. where this shirt came from that's cool yeah and those are, i was looking at all the movies i'm like i've seen all of them i think and they added for from beyond so they sell they send you the oh, i have that we should watch that yeah. um, they send the shirt along with the video some pins some other cool like kitschy stuff yeah, I, love I love it. it and um i'm a big fan of those and yeah i wore this shirt actually a week ago and or yeah it was about a week ago and like i had three different people Comment, on, comment it? Yeah. on it. And I was just like, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And I don't know what to say when people, like, when complete strangers approach me or something. So I just go, hey man, nice some shirt. girl's like, yeah, you know, I always try to, they're awesome. And I always try to get the shirts, but I can't, blah, blah, blah. They just did a recent run of, like, ho- all the Halloween movies on VHS. Oh, yes. Friday Sick. 13th. And, and, uh, that is cool. So this girl's trying to talk to me about them. And I'm just trying to look at vinyl at, Death, at Beyond Fest. And yeah. I just go, yeah, it's a cool shirt. And <laughs> I was like, that was so rude as I'm, like, flipping <laughs> through the records. But, yeah, I'm cool. Duh. Um, but yeah, Studio House Designs and cool. Death Waltz. And uh, yeah. next episode after this is going to be our Halloween episode. Which yeah, is gonna our be really Halloween fun. party episode. Halloween party episode is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And we will see you guys then. Bye. Bye. Who's buried in Midian? Ain't nothing but dead folk. Somewhere. <laughs> hidden from sight. <laughs> closer than you might think. <laughs> is a place that's not on any map. Midian. Something's reading there. It looks a lot like hell. But they call it home. There goes the neighborhood. They're not pretty. They're not neighborly. You'll come back now, you hear? They're not even human. But this time, they're the good guys. From the imagination of Clive Barker comes Nightbreed. You can't go down there! They have only one enemy. A beast called Man, sworn to destroy the Nightbreed. Sounds like we're going head-to-head with the devil himself. And only one chance. A man called Boone. It's time to fight! Darkest Fantasies, Clive Barker brings you 
a startling new breed of adventure. I won't let you down. Nightbreed. At last, the night has a hero. Outstanding.